listening in. Uh, you know, the things we have to say are on the Internet and can be seen by anyone anywhere in the world that has Internet service of any kind at any time. But not too many are listening. Uh, not too many run across, or if they do, they skip merrily on and don't pay any attention. <coughs> or they put it down violently or whatever. But I'm thankful for those who are hearing and understanding. That being said, this coming Tuesday is the Day of Atonement. We're in the fall festival season, having gone through trumpets. And now atonement coming up on Tuesday. No food or water except that which is spiritual, as we understand. <coughs> and then, of course, we need to keep our prayers in mind for those who will be traveling this coming week to be here for the Feast of Tabernacles, <coughs> which starts on, not tomorrow, but a week from Sunday. So they'll be coming in on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, to be here for the feast. Pray that God will protect them and keep us all from Satan and his demons. Uh, he always seems very active before God's feast days, because God's holy days symbolize to him <clears throat> that his time is very short, and he hates anyone who is of God. So we should be always asking for protection from the evil one, as is in the model prayer that Christ gave for us to protect us from him. So let's have that very much in mind, that we are to look to God, to look away from Satan, and to pray that God will protect us from him in every way. So that's what's coming up, a glorious time picturing the future. Now, I spent most of last sermon discussing Noah and the work that he was called to do and tied it in some with the end time because it was a 100-year work, and I think that the timing is very, very important there, uh, suggestive of the timing of the end time work. And even Peter brings up in his Gospels uh, the example of Noah uh, in relationship to the troubles at the end time. God promised he would not ever send a flood again like he did, but he speaks of other types and ways in which he will punish uh, mankind for our evil that we have done upon this earth and destroying the earth that he made so beautiful that we have polluted and so on, both physically and spiritually. So, uh, Peter makes mention of that at the time when the ark was being prepared, that Christ preached to the demons that were being restrained, and that they will be turned loose here at the end time uh, upon the world. So, Noah was very much an end time prophet, as we saw that Enoch was. Now, let's look at this a little bit more. Uh, I, I think it's very important that we understand John 6:44 and understand what God is really saying there. Because he says there that no man can come except he is called by the Spirit of God. 
except the Father draw him, are the exact words. But God is drawing or reaching out to or calling or opening the mind of, drawing that person out of the world. And he says, you can't come to God unless he does that. You know, you can go anywhere in the world and join most any religion. You can join any church anywhere just by walking in the door and signing up <laughs> or saying, I'm part of this, and they accept you pretty much warts and all. But God, when He is dealing with people, calls them specifically. You do not join the Church of God. Herbert Armstrong made that point, and it was used a great deal in Worldwide Church of God over the years, that you don't join the church, that you are called, that God brings you here. He opens your mind to the truth. And we talk about the time we learned the truth. People talk about the time they joined the Baptist Church or joined the Methodist Church or the Presbyterians or whatever, But we didn't use that terminology, did we? We use God added us to the church, or God called us, or God showed us the truth, is the type of phrases we use, because it becomes obvious when you study the Bible that it is of God. Now let's see that. Uh, I, I spent a great deal of detail on Noah, because I think it is important to the end time, and we'll get back to that a little later on. But what about Abraham? Let's go back to uh, Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Now the Eternal had said to Abraham, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. So God appeared to Abraham, or spoke to him at least, and we know that Christ appeared to him in the plains of Mamre at one point, and Abraham fed he and the angel with him. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you, And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God gave him a specific message. I'll thumb back here to Hebrews 11. And what kind of a message was that? What did it mean? What terminology did uh, Paul use? Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing where he went. Went to a strange land, place he had not been, looking for what God told him. He was looking for a city, a place. And God didn't tell him, didn't give him a road map, didn't give him directions. He just said, go and find it. (laughs) So, Paul called it a calling. God called him. 
Here in Genesis it says he spoke to him and told him these things. And he told him what would become of him, how he would become a great nation, and so on. Now the question then I ask is this, did Abraham call himself? Did he, laying in his father's house, say, I think I'm going to get up and go find myself a city. I'm going to depart from all my relatives. I'm sick of it here. I'm going to go out on my own and do this thing. Not the way it happened at all, is it? He didn't call himself. God came to him and told him what he was going to do with him. Let's go to Genesis 22. Uh, This is an interesting one about Isaac, and we know that Abraham had gone through years and years wanting a son and not having one, and the story there, and when uh, God renewed or rejuvenated both Abraham and Sarah, uh, that ties in with Acts 3, of course, where he says the time of restitution is coming. God works in patterns, and he tells us through the prophecies that he's going to Make the lame to walk, the blind to see, and the deaf to hear, and the feeble, you know, everybody who is debilitated or old, able to work. He's going to renew us and rejuvenate us. And he did that with Abraham and with Sarah. So the pattern is there from the past. He he could have called them when they were young, but he didn't. He waited until they were old. And beyond any capability or possibility of having a child, and then told them they would. And then they did. And Isaac was born. Now, in Genesis 22, I'm not there yet. Uh, We know that once Isaac uh, became a little older, whether he was teenage or a young man, it it isn't really clear here. Uh, but after Isaac had pretty much grown up, having been a gift to Abraham and Sarah, uh, where is this that I'm looking for? Okay, Genesis 22. Uh, Abraham was told to go sacrifice his son and kill him as a sacrifice. Now, Abraham didn't argue. He had been given that promise a long time ago by God that he would have a son and that he would have children and become a great nation. So when God later told him, I want you to go kill that boy, Abraham didn't do anything, didn't say anything. I don't know what all went through his mind, but he saddled his ass and told Isaac, come on, we're going to a sacrifice. And Isaac was old enough to know that you needed a ram or or something to sacrifice. So he asked his dad, what will it be? And Abraham's God will provide. Don't worry about it. Come on, let's go. Abraham knew what he was doing. Isaac wondered. And then they got there, and Isaac was looking around saying, who's going to get sacrificed here? And Abraham said, lay down on the rock there, Isaac. And he actually laid him down and raised his knife to kill him. And God intervened and said, Don't lay your hand on the lad, in verse 12. Uh, 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham was to be the father of many nations, and it was through him that Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph would come. So God had to absolutely know for certain that Abraham would be faithful and true. Now he is doing the same thing and has been with you and me. If we are to be a part of his eternal kingdom forever and ever as part of spiritual Israel, he has to know. That is why he puts us through trials, troubles, tribulations, sicknesses, all kinds of things God puts us through. Privation, death, loss of loved ones, all kinds of things he puts us through to see if it will turn our eyes from him or if we will use those trials, troubles, and tribulations to humble us to come before him on our knees and plead to him as God that we will worship forever and ever. So all these things that we go through in life, and some of them are very, very difficult, are there for a purpose. Now, he hasn't in a long time told anybody, I want you to go out and kill your son. But he did not request anything or ask anything of Abraham that he was not willing to do himself in sending his son to save us from death. And he did kill his son, caused it to happen. But he said, you didn't withhold him. Now, it's interesting to me that God did not uh, call Isaac specifically that I see anywhere here. But he did come to angel out of heaven the second time in verse 16, said, and said, by myself have I sworn, says the eternal, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and you'll possess the gate of your enemies and so on. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So he told Abraham that he was using Isaac as the son through whom he would cause Israel to appear. He didn't call Isaac to any specific job other than being the father of the man who would become Israel. He didn't do a great work through Isaac in the sense that he did a work through Abraham. Now, when you come down to Jacob, it's a different story, because Jacob was called to be the one that this multiplication would begin to occur through. So let's go to Genesis 32. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go, except you bless me. So Christ was actually wrestling, wrestling with Jacob. Now, he could have, of course, killed Jacob at any moment. 
But he was testing Jacob to see how perseverant, how strong, how determined he was. Because if God was going to use him to start a great nation, he needed to know that that was the man that he would go through. Now, he had another choice. He could have chosen Esau, but he chose Jacob. But he tested Jacob. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall be no, be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince have you power with God and with men and have prevailed. Now he didn't prevail by whipping Christ, but he prevailed in his perseverance and hanging on and not letting go of Christ. Now when Christ touched his thigh and put it out of joint, that was the end of the wrestling match, basically. And Jacob apparently suffered with a limp the rest of his life, as a reminder. But he says, you've taken the position of a prince here, having power with God and with men, and have prevailed. So he called him. He didn't call him Jacob anymore, he called him Israel. Jacob asked and said, Tell me, I pray you, your name. And he said, Wherefore is it that you do ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, or the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he halted upon his thigh, it says from that point in verse 31. So, God dealt directly with Jacob. He gave him a new name. You're going to be Israel. And you will prevail both with God and with man. Did Jacob call himself? Did Jacob go to court and get his name changed? Did he do this? No, he was there. And Christ came to him and wrestled with him with a purpose in mind, and that was that he had a very important place for Jacob. And then Jacob, as we know, had the twelve sons. What about Joseph? He was his father's favorite, and his brothers all hated him. Sold him down into Mitzrayim, got rid of him. Thought he'd die. Hoped he would die, except for Reuben, I guess. But what happened with Joseph? God came to him in a dream. He was there. He had been in prison. He had been through all kinds of things. But God came to him in a dream and told him about the fat cows and the skinny cows and, you, you know, the story. And told him that he had a commission. He was to save up the food. He was to take care of Israel. Well, Israel wasn't there. But he was to actually feed the whole world. Not just Israel. Not just Mitzrayim. But people came from all over because the drought was widespread. Well, what had God told Abraham? In your seed shall all the world be blessed. Started with Joseph. Not just Israel, not just Jacob and his 70 people, 
But all of Mitzrayim and other nations and lands around came because Joseph had laid up and done what God had instructed him to do. Now, was this Joseph's bright idea again? Did he say, well, here I am, and uh, I know that there's going to be a drought. I can see it coming, and boy, I'm going to start saving up food so I can save the world. No, didn't come that way at all. God appeared to him in a dream and showed him what was going to happen and let him know what he was to do wasn't something he came up with on his own. I could go to each of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, David, for instance, all the minor prophets. In each case, God came to them and said, Hey, i got a message I want delivered. I've got something I want you to go do. Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute because she will depict what Israel is to me today. Uh, He gave them various messages, as he called them. Amos, just a fruit gatherer, a herdsman. And God said, no, I want you to go be a preacher. Oh, well, I don't want to go to be a preacher. (laughs) Uh, I missed them. I was going to do Moses in here. Uh, Let's go there for a moment before I get too far ahead of myself. Exodus 3. Uh, Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's court. Then he killed a man and he had to flee to Midian, the middle land, Median land, between the seas. And there he kept his father-in-law Jethro's flock. He had no idea why he was there except that he knew he was a dead man if he went back. So what happened? Verse 2, The angel of the Eternal appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I think I'm going to have a look at that and see this thing. And when the Eternal saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Probably scared him. And he said, Draw not near, put off your shoes, for the place wherein you stand is holy ground. And this was Christ, not just an angel, but is a messenger from the Father, who was Christ himself. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. And then he was told, I've seen your people in Israel down in Egypt, and they're taskmasters. I know their sorrows. And I've come to deliver them from the Mitzrayimites and to bring them out of that land to a good land and a large one to a land flowing with milk and honey, place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites are. Now, I've heard them. Verse 10, Come now, therefore... And I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Mitzrayim. Of course, Moses replied, Who am I? I'm just a herdsman like Amos, or whatever. Perplexing. 
Is this an idea Moses came up with? No. Burning bush and a specific calling. I am going to send you to do this. Moses set about to argue about it, and that didn't work out too well for him, because when God called him to do it, he intended him to go do it. Bear that in mind. If God calls you for a purpose, for a work, whatever it might be, you had better hear and you had better listen and you had better not deny and you better do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Is that understood based on what we've seen so far today in Scripture and with the prophets themselves, all of which I will not go through, but God told them to do some awfully strange things. He told them to speak to the people in each case. And then he had Isaiah run around butt naked. And he had Ezekiel lay on his side for 430 days, one side and then the other. And some very strange things. What would you think if God came and told you to go marry a whore? That'd be strange instructions, wouldn't it? What did, what did Hosea do? You said, to do that, God, I'm going to go do it. And he did. And then she had children and so on. For a purpose, to show that Israel was not his people. She'd gone whoring after other gods and was not his people anymore. And she needed to repent. See, God didn't, people didn't always do what God told them to do. Did they? How did Israel do when they came out of Mitzrayim? Well, they murmured and complained right off the bat. They had all kinds of problems. Because they thought, well, Moses, you're not God. And where's God? And he went up to get the Ten Commandments codified, and they immediately went to an orgy and a golden calf and their own God went off to do their own thing, didn't they? And God didn't like that. And he sent them into captivity and all kinds of things. And he finally divorced them because they wouldn't do what he said to do. If there's any point we need to get is that whatever God shows you to do, you had better do it and not depart from it and continue it until the job is done. Right? Isn't that what Christ told the apostles? Endure to the end. He didn't say go halfway. He didn't say three, go three quarters of the way. He said endure to the end. What about the apostles? Christ was out teaching, starting to teach the multitudes. And he went around, and he had been observing these people over a period of time and looking at them and analyzing them, I'm sure. And God gave him great perception. So he went down to these guys fishing. He says, Peter, I want you. Come, follow me. 
Is that a calling? He called to him. Come on. He went to a tax collector. Collector, Come, follow me. Oh, okay. I'm coming to follow you. He called 12. And then he gave them careful individual instruction and collectively prepared them. And then he left them and says, I've got work for you to do. And he commissioned them. Told them what to do, didn't he? Go out. Preach to people of Israel and tell them the truth of God. And I want you to be my ministry, my apostles, and I want you to ordain evangelists and prophets and elders and so on. I want you to do that. He put it in their hands to ordain elders. So he called them to do a work. Was that calling of God? Yes, it was. And then he also wanted a message sent to the Gentiles. So he struck somebody down. Made him blind. And then he said to him, Saul, you're not Saul anymore, you're Paul now. And I want you to go to the Gentiles and I want you to preach the things that I've been teaching my apostles And you've been killing the people that I've been calling. Now, that's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? On the surface. Here was Saul going around approving when Stephen was stoned. Approving killing people and seeing to it that they were killed. But God saw something in that character, Saul that he wanted to do a job for himself. So he struck him down and gave him the job. He said, now you go do it. I want you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He preached to Israel some too, but generally to the Gentiles. The Jew first through the twelfth, and then through the thirteenth, Paul to the Gentiles. Specific calling, right? Did Paul see some clouds and looked up and it was shaped like P.C. and say, oh, I'm to preach Christ. No. No, he got struck ground and blinded and God showed him the job he had for him to do. Do we begin to see the height of presumption when you set yourself up to be a teacher? without a calling from God. That preacher down south could have said, oh, that means plow corn. But he decided it was preach Christ. He called himself. God didn't call him. You've seen some shapes in the clouds, haven't you? As a kid, I used to sit and watch the clouds and they look like all kinds of different things. But preach Christ wasn't one of them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm headed somewhere with this. And we need to understand it. In each case here, anybody who was called to preach was called of God. 
or if they had he had a specific work he wanted them to do. Now I've already mentioned John six forty four. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. You have tried to convince or call, if you want to use that word, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors. And how have they responded over the years? Over the decades that you and I have perhaps tried that. Just wishing they would get the truth. Just wishing they could understand. Wanting them to. Doing your best to appoint yourself a preacher to them. To get them to hear. And it's fallen on deaf ears and loud mouths generally. Because they will deny it. And they will hate it, and they will despise you for trying to show them the truth. Because God didn't call you to be a preacher of one, and He didn't be called you to be a preacher to a thousand. He called you for salvation and to help with a work that you were called to help with. We'll get to that later on. But let's go on with some scriptures here. Because this is important that we understand. Uh, Let's go to Romans 11. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want you to know where we're headed with this so you can kind of follow where I'm going. Romans 11. Here, let's go to verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. You did not give yourself the gift of truth. You did not find the truth on your own. It was a gift given to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. And the calling of God was without repentance. Did you repent of all your sins and all your infractions and begin keeping the truth of God before you were called and even understood where it was? No. You heard a voice on a radio or a television, or you saw a magazine, or a booklet, maybe by word of mouth, says you ought to listen to so-and-so on the radio or the TV. People in Africa saw one page of the plain truth blowing across the desert, grabbed it and picked it up, and read it, and began to look for where this came from. Where did that paper come from? Why did they see it? Why didn't a thousand other people grab it? Because God was calling that one. And they came across it. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You heard, you began to understand, and then you repented. You began to change. You went from Sunday or Wednesday 
to Saturday. You went from Christmas and Easter to the holy days. You went from paganism and lack of truth to truth. You began to repent once God called you and opened your mind. It could not open unless God opened it. You would not be here today unless God had personally and individually opened your mind at some point. And that's why I say, try as you might, you've not been able to convince your relatives of the truth. Because the carnal mind, the normal mind of man, is enmity to God. And when they hear the truth, they automatically have a no button they hit. It's just automatic. Unless God has opened that mind. So the gift and calling of God is not something that we do ourselves. It's something He does to us and for us. 1 Corinthians 1. How do we know we'll be called? Well, very few are, in one sense. So the many are called and few chosen, but the many does not represent billions, it represents tens of thousands. For you see your calling, brethren. Now, there were people there in the church in Corinth. And he said, you see your calling. What about you? Do you see your calling? Can you look back and remember the details of how and when God began to open your mind and call you? I think we all could share that experience with each other. And in fact, brethren often do. Well, when were you called? How were you called? How did this occur? You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Moses, in some respects, despised himself. Who am I? Who were the disciples themselves? Fishermen, tax collectors? They weren't at the top of society. They weren't the leaders. They weren't the rulers, with the exception of Paul, who was high in the Jewish government. But the rest of them were just weak, base, foolish things of the world. What, did, what was Peter's life like? Well, he'd get up in the morning or the evening, whatever he thought the fish would be there. He'd go get in the boat go out and put out nets and hope to catch fish that day. And then he'd come home and clean fish for quite some time, maybe on the beach if he did well. And then he'd come home smelling like fish guts and get his wife to let him in the house. Maybe he bathed somewhere along the line. I don't know exactly how things went. But that was his life. I've seen commercial fishermen. I've seen how they look and smell. And I've done a little of it. 
nothing mighty, nothing noble, nothing wise. What did the tax collector do? Well, he worked all day taking money away from people, and then he tried diligently to get home without being beaten up or <laughs> or castigated or, or whatever, because tax collectors were hated. Do you have a favorite tax collector? IRS, high on your list. You want to get to know everybody in IRS, you can, because you're just wonderful people. Or even county officials. Take your money. No, they're not high on your list. You and I, were not high on the list either. God has chosen us, those who are part of the church here at the end, to confound the wise. When God does His great work and finishes it, those who have been the smart, the intelligent, the educated, the top of industry, the tops of governments, are all going to be completely bum-fuzzled by what God is going to do. He hasn't done it yet. We'll get into the end-time work in a little bit. Or maybe I say a little bit, not today, but let's understand this thing of how we got here. Because it's important in terms of whether we stay here or not. You've got to know where you came from. You've got to know what God's purpose was. Did God explain His purpose to all these men that I went through and others? Yes, He did. He says, I want you to do this and then I'm going to do that. I want you to go here, and I want you to do this, and then I will do that. He made it very clear to them that he had a job for them to do. Noah? Yeah? I want you to build a big boat. And I want you to put every clean and unclean animal on the boat. And then I'm going to flood the earth. Oh. He got the message, I think I better build a boat. And he started. And it took him a hundred years to do that work. That's a big task. What if God came and says, have you seen a picture of the Queen Mary? I want you to build one like that. I'm not going to send you any help, but I want you to build it. Now you're going to look at it and say... Lord, that would take me a hundred years. Yep. <laughs> Get to it. Time's a-wasting. You know? <clears throat> God did ask people to do some strange things, didn't He? Ask? No, He told them to. Oh, Isaiah, shed your clothes. I want you to run around butt naked because Israel's going to go be marched into captivity naked. What if an angel appeared to you and said, I want you to go naked for a month and I want you to parade around St. George that way? That'd be a tough one, wouldn't it? That'd be difficult. There's others. Told Ezekiel, I'm going to kill the light of your life, your wife. I'm going to kill her. I don't want you to mourn. I want you to understand 
that I'm doing this as a message to Israel that they're going to be taken into captivity and killed. Now, this is going to happen several thousand years from now, but I'm going to kill your wife tomorrow. Oh. And he did. And Ezekiel said, okay, I won't mourn. I'll get up and get on with the message you've told me to do. It's the way it was. God doesn't always make it easy, does he? We get a cold or the flu and think, oh, I'm dying. We put up with getting old. We put up with all kinds of misery and different things in this life. God made them part of life. And he made them especially part of true Christianity. They're the ones that he says, you will suffer trial and trouble and tribulation and many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he will save you out of them all. Psalm 34, 19. 2 Thessalonians 3.12 Suffer much tribulation. I know, 2 not Thessalonians. Um, 12.34 Now it left me. Uh, I know those scriptures. You know why? Because I've suffered affliction and trial and trouble and sickness and all kinds of things. And so have you. And you probably know some of those scriptures. Through much tribulation into the kingdom of heaven. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Now, he's, he's talking about circumcision here in specific, in specificity, specificity. He's speaking specifically of circumcision in any case. And he says it doesn't mean anything. It's nothing in verse 19. But he says here uh, in verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. If you're circumcised, don't grow it back. If you're uncircumcised, stay that way. Don't worry about it. He says it's nothing. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a slave? Don't worry about it. If you can be free... Well, okay, be free, but don't worry about it. For he that is called in the eternal, being a slave, is the Lord's free man. You may be a slave physically, but you're free before God is his son. He that is called being free is Christ's servants. He says, you are bought with a price. Be not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. <coughs> Don't try to change everything. He even says down here, uh, for the present distress in verse 26, <coughs> if you're married, stay married. If you're not married... Don't become married. It says time is short. Be both that 
that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not. Those that rejoice as though they rejoice not. They that buy as though they possess not. So the fashion of the world is passing away. <coughs> when you see these things coming, he says, quit worrying about the physical. Quit worrying about circumcision or marriage or whether you're a slave or free or any of these things that you find yourself in in the world, but serve God in however you were called. Just do it. Now, are we drawing near that? Do we see the leaves on the trees? What's going on? He says we're not to worry about these physical things. Ultimately, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. It'll all be over. We'll be in the kingdom of God. We'll be the bride of Christ. We'll have all the riches of the universe. We will be free in the universe to rule the universe as kings and priests. So what difference, does he, he says, does it make as we get near the end, whether you're a slave or a free man? Just serve God. And don't worry about your status. Is it time to start a big corporation and and try to make billions of dollars like people have done with Facebook or Amazon or whatever? When you see this end coming and you know Zephaniah says there's a crash coming, what difference does it make whether what tax bracket you're in? It doesn't matter. Just serve. God and do what He wants you to do. Whatever He's called you to do in whatever way He's called you. Ephesians 1.18 The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, God enlightened you. He opened your understanding. And he called you and gave you hope. Hope for what? A new car. Marriage. Freedom from slavery. No, he called you to be part of his kingdom the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Why did you respond to Herbert or Ted Armstrong? Because God was opening your mind and calling you to understand some things that you never knew before. There is not anyone who came into the church who discovered the truth on his own. Now, you may have studied and learned a few things, but you would not have gotten them unless God had opened your mind. I know somebody who is about to discover the history and the riches of the earth and the world throughout man's existence in the treasures and the riches of Solomon. And you know what? Didn't do that on his own. It says there in Isaiah 44 that I am the one that broke the bars of iron and brass and showed you these things and revealed them to you and give them to you 
for the sake of Jacob, my people. So you don't even know me, but I'm the one that caused this to happen. It's going to happen pretty soon, and it's going to astound the world, and they're going to know from the east to the west that God is God, and so will the guy that finds them, because God says there, you didn't know me, you don't know me, but you're going to learn about me. Couldn't have done it on his own. Wouldn't have happened, period. Unless God opened the way for his purposes. So let's understand that nothing is done for God and God's purpose unless he calls someone to do it. Would Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and any of those people have ever done anything if God hadn't come to them and said, I want you to do it. Would Moses? Would it? Would uh, Noah have said, "Well, I see. I've been looking at the weather forecast, and boy, I think from hundred years, hundred years from now, there's going to be a big storm, and uh, I better build myself a big boat." They, you know, the long-range forecast today is about what three to seven days. Hundred years, he wouldn't have seen. God showed him, and God told him what to do. Do you really think that anyone can appoint themselves to do the work of God? Can that be done? Can anybody anywhere say, well, I think God would want this guy. I found a scripture back here where I think God wants me to do this. I knew a fellow, I can even remember his name, Steve Hurd back in, out near Joshua Tree National Monument, out there in the waste howling desert near Palm Springs. Read in here about how Moses would deliver Israel. I don't know whether he read a part there where God had this burning bush and told him what to go do. I don't think so. There were hardly any bushes out there. In fact, that was a pretty desolate area. But I go out to see him one day, and he's out there, and he has this little five or ten acre piece of ground, whatever it was, and he was planting fruit trees. And that's when he revealed to me that he was Moses, and he was there to deliver the church, is what he told me. I had trouble believing it. I still don't believe it. And I told him so. And he wasn't in the church much longer, and God did not bring the whole church out to his five acres with four apple trees and a date tree, or whatever it was he planted there. But he called himself to be Moses. I'm the end-time Moses. What about the end-time Elijah? What about an end-time Elisha? I know somebody who's called himself to be Elisha. says, Herbert Armstrong dropped the Elijah cape and... God laid it on me. God didn't come to him in a dream and say, I want you to be Elisha. You know how I know that? Because if he had, he would have told about it by now. Because that's the way he is. And he's not Elisha. And he's not going to do the great works of Elijah and more. It's not going to happen. You can't call yourself. God has to do it. 
chapter, chapter 4, verse 4 of Ephesians. <clears throat> there is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We got the so-called Holy Father of the Catholics right now calling out to all religions to come and join in and be part of it. And I saw a picture on the internet yesterday of the Pope leaning down and kissing the feet of Islamic people because he's accepting all religions, and especially Islam right now. Isn't there to be a one-world religion soon? Yeah. Who's doing that calling? Satan the devil. It's his world government, not God's. But the Pope suddenly thinks that he's the vicar of Christ to all peoples. And he's putting the Islamic world and the Muslims ahead of Christianity. Even persecuting Christians. The Pope! There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You can't rope Mohammed and Christ and whatever God's Vishnu and Atlas and April and Mary and Semiramis all into one little loop and say, this is God's religion. You just can't do it. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He is the one who sets. Didn't he say that there in Corinthians? I am the one who have set the apostles and evangelists and prophets, ministers and elders, pastors and elders and so on. I do that. You don't. You don't call yourself. But pretty regularly now, especially in the Church of God over the last years, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people call themselves to be preachers. Now God calls that presumptuous. And he says that's the same as witchcraft. And if you appoint yourself, then you are of Satan. Because Satan is the head of witchcraft. That is great presumption to set yourself up as a teacher. There's several scriptures on that. That isn't my point at the moment. Matthew 9, verse 13. But go you and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Christ makes a policy statement here. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to bring sinners to repentance. And as soon as we're called, we begin to look around and see who is still a sinner. Seems to be a human thing to do. Because I've been called, and I've been doing good, and I've been repenting, and I've grown, but I see you're still a sinner. It's a funny thing, but I've observed it. People are in California, and they decide that Oregon is a much better place to be than California, or Washington, or somewhere up there. So they move to Oregon, 
and they changed their license plate from California to Oregon. And the very next day, they began to persecute the Californians because now they're Oregonians. And you're a Californian. I have now called, but it appears you're still a sinner. What's the difference there? We better be careful and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, not somebody else's. It's God's calling, and He calls sinners to repentance, not the righteous. So, we're all here trying to quit sinning, aren't we? That's our purpose. Quit sinning and be like God. To hear His calling and answer it. Not to judge everybody else and whether they are or not. Matthew 22. Uh, Here I think I want verse 3. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. This is about the kingdom of God and a certain king who called, and some wouldn't come. And some wouldn't put on wedding garments. Called to the highest calling that you can possibly be called is to become the wife of the king of the universe, Christ Emmanuel. And a lot of people won't answer the call. And a lot of people who answer it won't prepare themselves to be there and dress themselves properly in righteousness. That's what we're called to do. To be the wife of the king. He goes on, but I I just wanted to hit here about That's a calling that he does. And he says it's about the kingdom of heaven. You and I were not called to be lieutenants in the army of the devil. We were called to be the bride of the ruler of the universe. Is what we were called to be. Did you hear that call? Did you understand that? Do you know what you're here for? Have you forgotten what you're here for? And gotten yourself busy with other things that don't have anything to do with what God is doing and His purpose in bringing you? A lot of people have. Look at when the church got blown apart by God. They departed from truths that should have been evident. Truths that they should have understood, but quickly dropped and went back to being a Baptist or whatever, or nothing. And others have sort of kept the truth, some of it, and have begun to depart from other parts of it. Because they drop this, and they drop that, and they change something else away from Scripture. And then they're on the sidelines. Now what time is it? I have lots and lots of scriptures. See this page? I jotted down a lot of scriptures that I looked up. And these are all under the term called. 1 Corinthians 1.1 Paul called to be an apostle. I can go on and on with these. Wow. Galatians 1.15. Maybe we'll cover a few of them very quickly here. 
I don't have to hit them all, but I want you to get the point that uh, there is a call. This didn't just sort of happen. You didn't just sort of wake up knowing about God and His plan and His purpose and where you ought to be going. Galatians 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, Paul says. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, including himself as a man, didn't call himself, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I'm an apostle because of the Father and the Son's calling, he says. And then he talks about the calling down here as we already read. Chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, you have been called to liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite, chew on each other, and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We're called to liberty. We're called to love each other. We're not called to chew on each other. We're called to live in love because love is the greatest thing and will last forever and ever more. We're called to love one another. Uh, Ephesians 4. Did I already go there? I might have. It was on the other page. Yeah, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. Colossians 3, uh, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. We're called into one body. The body is joined together under Christ. Now God had that one body, Worldwide Church of God. And he spewed it out because of what he says about us in Revelation 3, which we all are very aware of. And now, we're separate pieces, many of us, floating around doing our own thing. How much is that accomplishing? We're not one body working together to do whatever God wants done. In fact, there is no work of God being done today. Do we grasp that? Worldwide Church of God was a work that God called somebody to do to call people and baptize them in the name of the Father Well, in the name of Christ, actually, when you understand it. Christ only. To do a work. To call many disciples. And that was done. And then because those disciples were not what they ought to be, 
and the leadership was not entirely what it ought to be either. God just simply scattered it. And we became, as Isaiah puts it, eunuchs out in Babylon, unable to accomplish anything. And there are some who are trying. And they got a few thousand people to follow and join up with them. And they're out there trying to print booklets and do a work. But it isn't going anywhere. People are coming in the front door and going out the back. We're no different right here. We were up to about 150 at one point, and now we're down to about 10% of that. I think it's a microcosm of what God said about the whole church. It is a witness for what God has done to the church. That He's going to reduce it by 90%. And He has. And He's done the same thing with us. Now we'll get into that a little later on in detail, and I'm going to show you some things you probably haven't thought of. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. That we should walk worthy of God, who has called you to His kingdom and glory. Now, Herbert Armstrong used to tell us, this isn't about our personal salvation. This is about a work that He had been called to do. But at the same time, our goal and our purpose in the work that we were chosen to do, was to be part of the kingdom of God. That's overall what we're called to do, but there have been people throughout history who've been called to specific works as well. The plan of God from Adam and Eve through the end of it is to make human beings into God. That's His overall work and purpose. But within that 6,000 years we have almost been through now, there have been specific works or specific jobs that in some way had to do with the overall purpose of mankind being created. Enoch was to preach about the end time in Christ returning with tens of thousands of his saints. He was preaching an end time prophecy before Noah. <clears throat> Noah had a specific purpose to save eight people that God would start society over with in a peaceful beginning instead of a violent one. Abraham was called out of the world to begin a new race of people for God's purposes. Moses was called to deliver a people out of slavery for God's purposes of developing Israel who had begun through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. God's purpose of salvation was done in about a 70-year work of His disciples, and then it was over. The plan of salvation goes on. But James, Peter, John, and those guys all died violently, except for John. Their calling and their purpose for that time, the job given to them, was finished. Now, they're going to be in the kingdom of God. They're going to be over the twelve tribes of Israel in the kingdom of God. So they have a future work. 
But within the plan and purpose of God, they only took up one small period of time to do something that God wanted done. The beginning of the New Testament church. And they were limited to that. And once it was finished, as far as God wanted it done, they died. <clears throat> and then it didn't reappear for a long time. First Thessalonians 4, verse 7. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. If you go through all these scriptures about the calling of God, you're going to find an awful lot of insight into what he expects of those whom he has called. So Paul just tells them, hey, you weren't called to uncleanness and sin. You were called to holiness. Therefore, be holy. <laughs> you know, it's what you're called to be. He that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given to us his Holy Spirit. We're to be holy, to love one another, called to love one another, and not to despise man. Because he says, if you despise man, you are despising God. If you put man down, if you stab God's people in the back, you're not answering your calling. You weren't called to do that at all. That's Satan. That's not God. That's not his calling. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 14. Wherefore, he called you by our gospel. Oh, you didn't call yourself. You didn't learn yourself. You learned from James, Peter, John, Timothy, Paul, whoever, Stephen, even a deacon in that case. He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Emmanuel the Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle whether written or said, stand by it. Don't leave it. Because that's what you were called to is the truth. Now, did Herbert Armstrong have all truth? No, he did not. He did not have all the faith once delivered to the saints. Where is the truth delivered to the saints? It's in this book. He understood a lot out of this book, enough to do a calling work. But there are a lot of things in here he didn't understand. And this is what we were called to, was this book, this truth. And we continue to learn from it. And it even says within it that we are to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. When do you stop? When Herbert Armstrong reveals 37 things, as people have counted it up, that are new truth? You don't stop there. You continue to read it and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Because that's what we're called to do. Herbert Armstrong and everything he said was not the knowledge once delivered to the saints. This book was. And if we learn things from this book that we didn't know before, then we're called upon to grow in that grace and in that knowledge. That never stops. There's always more in here that you haven't learned. First Timothy 6, verse 12. 
Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. Friends, relatives, know that you were called into the truth. They're witnesses of that. And they don't like you for it, generally. But they witnessed it. And you're His witnesses. He tells us in Isaiah 43 and other places, we are His witnesses that He is God. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Holy is from God. You cannot call yourself. It's a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, unmerited pardon, which was given us in Christ Emmanuel before the world began. He had a plan to call people way back then. And Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. They had already figured out that He would have to come and die for us. And planned that. It was part of the plan and the purpose. And He called us. Why? Just for personal salvation? Or for a work to be done? Did He call Abraham just for his salvation? Noah? Enoch? Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah? No. He didn't call them just for their salvation. He called them because he had a job at that time in history that needed to be done, and he purposed each and every one of them for the job that he gave them and the message that he gave them to deliver. He called them. They did not call him. Seek God and you'll find Him. But, unless you seek Him, you're not guaranteed that you're going to find Him. And He will call you as He decides, not according to our works, or according to repentance, as we read in Romans, but according to His purpose. So you're called for a purpose. And that purpose is your salvation, but it probably entails, and I think we're going to see that, another purpose, a temporary purpose, a specific purpose for what He wants done when He wants it done. Okay? It's not just about you. It wasn't just about Isaiah. It was about Israel. It wasn't just about Jeremiah. It was about Israel. It wasn't just about Daniel, who got castrated and sent to Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon over in the Middle East. It was because God had a job for Daniel to do within Nebuchadnezzar's, Belteshazzar's, and Cyrus's reign. And it was to be a prophecy of now. When we are today eunuchs, that is, unable to reproduce. All we're doing is recycling those called under Herbert Armstrong. Very, very, very few are being called now. You'd have trouble naming ten who are truly new converts. Oh yeah, some of the groups say, oh yeah, we had so many new ones. You know what they do? 
for the most part, they come in the front door, they study, they get excited, they might get baptized, and six months or two years later, they're out the back door because they weren't really called of God. And we sometimes looked at each other over the years. Is that person really converted? Did God really call them? Do they really understand? Because some of the things they're doing don't appear to be according to God's will and purpose and truth. So the question arises, did did they ever get it? They're gone now. Did they get it? I thought they did back when, you know. It was a total surprise to us who stayed and who left. People we thought were pillars in the church crumbled and fell and left the church. People you thought, why are they here? They're still there today, obeying God. You can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. It comes from God. Who He and He is the one who ponders the hearts and allows the chaff and the tares, I mean the wheat and the tares, to grow together until the time of harvest. And you and I sit here and scratch our heads and say, Well, who is and who ain't? And then we get judgmental about it, and then we're really off the track. Because we simply don't know, and we don't know the heart. So how can we make those judgments? Hebrews 5, verse 4. What time is it getting to be? I'm not pushing it too hard. Hebrews 5. We're spoiled anyway. Sermons used to always be an hour and a half. And then with a sermonette, the service was always two hours or in the earlier days, three or four or five hours. So uh, if I go over an hour once in a while, don't get too excited. Hebrews 5, verse 4. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Aaron became the high priest under Moses because God called him to do that. He didn't call himself. No man takes this honor to himself. You cannot become a priest by calling yourself to be one. Can't do it. But we've seen a lot of it, haven't we? People who've tried to do that. They did that in Paul's day. Alexander the coppersmith and various other ones. That's why it's mentioned so much. Chapter 9, verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The fact that you today understand the truth of God means that you were called to be the bride of Christ and to be God someday. God called you to do that by opening your mind and saying, here's the truth, now follow it. If you deny that calling, you are in deep trouble eternally. Because those who were called and answer are expected to do what they were called to do. And if they deny that or turn from that, they are then in danger of the lake of fire. When God tells you to do something, you better do it. Whatever it is, if God tells you to do it, you had better follow through and do it. 
If he says, go naked, go naked. If he says, marry a whore, marry a whore. If he says, lay on your side for 430 days, don't gripe, lay down and do it. If he says, go to Nineveh, and you say, I don't want to go to Nineveh, you might wind up in the belly of a fish floating around for three days and spit out and be all white from bile and belly juices, your skin all bleached out, and you'd truly be a white man. You better get off off your butt and get in the surf and wash the saliva off and go to Nineveh now. Know what I mean? You do what God says to do. He hasn't asked you to do anything near as drastic as some of these things I've mentioned today, has he? Not so far. But he may. Hebrews 11, verse 8. I think we already covered that, actually. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should receive afterward for an inheritance, just did it. I love my father, I love my mother, I love my cousins, I love my house, I love what I'm doing. No, get out of here. Go! I want you somewhere else, Abraham. Oh, okay. I'll do that. God is after a ready mind. Someone who is willing to do whatever he wants done, whenever he wants it done. What did Samuel say? Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Oh, okay. Now I want you to go talk to Eli. Oh, okay. He thought Eli was calling him. No, it wasn't Eli. It was God. So he says, I want you to go talk to Eli. Yes, sir. I'll do that. Whatever you say. Wait a minute. That's just a, one that just simply comes to mind at the moment. They're, they're all over the place. James 2, verse 7. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If you don't follow through and obey God and do what He says, it's blasphemy to be called and not to perform. How can we deny God the Father, creator of the entire universe and this beautiful world we live in, calls us to be His sons and to be transformed and changed into spirit beings, the highest calling that can be imagined. And we turn Him down? Because we want this or want that or want something else as human beings? Don't we get it that Paul said, don't worry about circumcision, don't worry about marriage, don't worry about freedom, don't worry about anything. Do what you're called to do. Now, some of those other things, whatever they might be, fit within that. Okay, but here's what you're here to do. Is become God. Don't ever lose sight of that. This other stuff, just physical. 
It's just physical. You're here to be spirit. How easy is it for us to lose sight of that when we see something we want or something that appeals to us or whatever? And we can get sidetracked. And we don't fulfill the reason we're here. So then what does God do? Oh, you're not listening, are you? Well, okay. I have a trial. I have a trouble. I have a tribulation. I have an affliction. And I think I'm going to give some to you. Job. And I got a point that I want to make with you. Now, Job, you're a righteous man. And Satan can't even find anything wrong with you. But you're not getting something, Job. So now you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your herds, your flocks, all your wealth. You're going to lose your kids. And your wife's going to tell you to curse God and die. And you're going to have boils all over yourself and you can't get comfortable no matter what you do. Because I want you to learn a, a lesson. That's simple. And he went through so much before he learned the lesson and got God's point. And God said, oh, okay, you learned that one. Go away, devil. I'm going to bless Job again. All that, just that he might learn one thing. That God is a lot greater than I am. And when he blessed and prayed for his friends, God blessed him. Now that puts taking care of your brethren and loving them and praying for them instead of putting them down becomes pretty important. When Job put down his friends, he stayed in trouble. When he prayed for his friends, the trouble lifted. Love. That's what it was all about. So we better do what God tells us to do. First Peter 1, verse 15. But as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conduct. Be you holy, for I am holy. We're to be like him. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a particular people, or a purchased people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're called to light. We're to be light bringers, not darkness. We weren't a people, and then we became the people of God, and we obtained mercy, he says. And on and on it goes. Let's not despise our calling. I'm emphasizing this. It's very, very important that we grasp our calling. 2.19 For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Let's see, I have the first Peter. That's not the one I wanted. Well, there's, there's plenty more. First Peter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So we were called to follow Christ. We were called to be just like him. To think the things he thought. To walk as he walked. By whose stripes we're healed. We were sheep going astray. But he's called us to be the bishop and the shepherd of our souls. 
That's what we're called to be. Does that get lost sometimes in our lives? And we get so distracted with physical things around us that we forget what we're here for? Chapter 3, verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. So he says, people rail against you, don't return it. But give them a blessing instead. Somebody persecutes you or puts you down, give them a blessing. That's hard to do, because it's not what you feel like. But that's what you're called to do, is inherit a blessing, so be a blessing to others. First uh, Peter 5.10 That the God of all grace, who has called us to His eternal glory by Christ Emmanuel, after that you have suffered a while... Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You're called to eternal glory. But you're also called to suffer a while so that you might be established and that this be ingrained deeply within you through trials, troubles, and persecutions and difficulties. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. I don't want to have this trial or that trouble. Too bad you got it, Job. Now, deal with it and come out of it on the right side, closer to God than when you started having that trouble. When things are going well, we forget God. When things go bad, we get on our knees and call on God as humans. So, if he wants to be called on, what does he have to do? He has to give us trouble. Then he knows we'll repent and turn to him. So he uses trouble to help us. I did that with my kids. When they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, what did I do? I gave them trouble. And if I gave them enough trouble, you know what they did? They came with tears and said, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry. I'll obey. That's what I was looking for. Obedient, happy, productive children. Not rebellious brats. And if they rebelled, they got pain. And when they got pain, they decided that they'd rather repent and love daddy and mommy and each other instead of get their butts whipped. That was not too hard a thing for them to grasp. I mean, they forgot it regularly, as we do. But it wasn't too hard at the time for them to grasp that. Sometimes they're more stubborn than others, but they could they they kind of got the point. You know, I didn't spank them because I had said that this infraction requires one swat and this one requires three taps. I was concerned about their attitude. I was concerned about the rebellion. So, you know, when I quit spanking them, not when I'd given them three swats, I stopped spanking them when I heard their cry go from anger and rebellion to repentance. When that cry turned to fear and repentance, I stopped. 
Because the goal wasn't to get them to stop doing that. The goal was to cause them to be humble and pleasant and obedient and easy to be around. So when I heard the cry turn from rebellion to repentance, I stopped. And then I sat them on my knee and I loved them and told them I loved them. I love you too, Daddy. That's what God does with us. He wants us humble and meek and repentant. Easy to work with and obedient. That's all He wants. So that there will be peace and love in His kingdom forevermore. That's what He's called to. What we are called to. I got through half the page. And there's a lot more about the calling. I hope you got something out of this. But here's what God wants of us, and here's why, and here's what He's called us to be. Look it up in your concordance. It's real easy to do. Called, calling, call. And you'll find many more that I didn't cover for sake of time. So I guess we better stop there before I finish this list and we miss potluck. <laughs>